Well, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and I get the uh, privilege and the blessing this morning to uh, finish out on the last day of 2017 our Advent series. And so uh, the the series is uh, From Dark to Light. And so we're going to be fittingly working through the last uh, part of this series in the last book of the Bible, in one of the last chapters of the Bible, talking about the last days. I didn't do that on purpose, but it just kind of fit that way, right? So we're going to be in Revelation 21, if you guys want to turn there this morning. And uh, we're going to be looking at the promise of hope um, that's to come in the new heavens and the new earth, right? And this comes um, to John, this is written by John, um, at a time when he is in prison on an island, um, and Jesus appears to him, and through angels and other visions, John has given these revelations of what is to come. And there's a lot of dispute about what some of that means in, in this book. But we're going to kind of skip right over all of that, and we're going to land ourselves in Revelation 21, where there's a little less dispute, um, and something that seems to be a little bit more clear in hopes of bringing some hope to our lives as we look to this next year, all right? So Revelation 21 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, um, you're welcome to take one of the ones in the chair back in front of you. Um, that is our gift to you, um, but you can use that during our services as well uh, as we read along. So Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, I'm just going to give you a warning at verse 8. I'm going to skip down to verse 22. We're going to kind of leave out this little section in verse 21 that talks about a lot of specifications and uh, measurements of what the new heavens are going to look like. We're going to reference those in part through the sermon, but um, we're not going to read them through them for time's sake, okay? So Revelation 21, verse 1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every, away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one, the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death." Skip down to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. 
They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only the, excuse me, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. It's good. So today, um, we did something that I would deem probably a, one of my cardinal rules um, and we went and broke it today because we went and read the end of a story, the end of the book first. Um, because there's really just two types of people when it comes to book books. There are those who rightly read the story from beginning to end um, because that's how they were written and they were meant to be read. And then there are those who, um, I, I will try to be as politically correct as I can, who are wrong and um, read the end of the story first um, and then read the beginning I don't understand that because I don't know if it's just this desire or this need to, um, you don't want to be worried or anxious about what's to come. Maybe you don't like to uh, not know what to expect, but there are those people who read the end of the book first in hopes of shedding some light on what is to come. But that's, that's not why I read a book, right? When I come to a book, when I come to a story, I read the story in hopes that, that the author is going to draw me in and bring me in, that no matter what the ending is going to be, I'm going to want to read along. I'm going to want to know what is to come. And don't get me wrong, I'm definitely one of those people, I want the guy to get the girl. I want the dragon to be slain at the end of the book. I want there to be, um, and they lived happily ever after. I'm totally a romantic in that way. I like that kind of a story. I'm not about the whole um, new movie thing where they end and it's realistic. I, I don't... I live in realism. I live in that life. I don't need there to be nothing at the end. And it'd be super anticlimactic and the problem and the, the issues still exist at the end of the story, at the end of the movie. I'd, I don't want that. That's the life I live in here and now, right? And, and to be fair, I, I'm a rather cynical person at times. And so I find that that seeps into my worldview and the things that I see, so I expect that things aren't going to work out. I oftentimes expect that people are going to let me down. And so when I come to a story and I read a story, I don't want that to be the case. I want things to work out for the character. I want there to be resolve. I want there to be solutions to the problems that have come. That's what I hope for. That's what I'm longing for. I long for a world in which I don't have to feel like I'm always working to not seek others' approval or acceptance. I long for a world where greed and lust and corruption don't destroy the lives of men and women around this world every day. I long for that kind of a world, that kind of a place where I don't have to worry about sin, where I don't have to worry about death, where I don't have to worry about things going wrong. I want there to be something to hope for, something to long for. But while I might hope for that, and there might be other people who long for that kind of a world, the reality is, is that I think in this country, at least, that's a, a losing battle, right? The, the most common uh, mental illness in the U.S. is actually anxiety disorders, with 40 million people over the age of 18 suffering from it. That means in this room, there's probably about 15 to 20 of you that suffer with some level of anxiety disorder that this 
country would diagnose. And of those, 50%, it says statistically, will also suffer from some level of depression. So while we may hope for things to get better, there is a large majority that have no hope for the light that's to come in the darkness. All they feel is the darkness that's looming, the darkness that's coming, the darkness that is setting over them. There's nothing to hope for. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. I think this is why people are so quick to become frustrated by new political powers as they come into regime, right? Because they're supposed to bring hope. They're supposed to bring some level of order to the chaos. They're supposed to bring some resolve to the problems that are here, and then they don't. It's why relationships never seem to really fully satisfy the loneliness that we tend to have. And family never seems to bring the approval or the acceptance that we're longing for in our hearts and our souls. It's why the church at times seems to hurt people because there's moral failures and there's hurtful words as people live life together. All we have to do is look at our fears and our frustrations in this world, and I think we're going to see where our hope really lies. It's in the things of this world, and we find that they fail us over and over and over again. There is no hope at some level in the things of this world. I think that's why we talk about hope so often in terms of a wish. It's how we would define the word so often. We talk about hope being just this wishful thinking Maybe this will happen. There's no confidence. There's no assurance to that word for us today. But what I hope to do as we read this passage today, as we study through Revelation and and see what is to come, I hope that we gain a more biblical definition of what hope is. Something that is sure. Something that is confident. Something that is convinced at some level because it's not based on us. It's not based on the things of this world. It's not based on mixed motives It isn't founded in people who will die. It's founded in the word and the commands and the actions of God. A God who is always faithful. A God who is always true. Who always comes through on his promises. And that's the hope that I hope that we get to stir up in each other today as we read through this passage. A hope that doesn't come to just shine a little bit of light into the darkness like a flashlight in a dark room, but one that comes, it says, to eradicate the dark, to bring complete and total annihilation to darkness, and in its place shine the light of the glory of God upon this whole earth, where there is no need, it says, for the sun or the moon to shine upon the world, because the glory of God shines through the Lamb, who it now states is the lamp of this light, that there will be no more night in the day to come, in this day that we're reading about. And it says this because of this in verse 5. And God who was seated on the throne, said, Behold, I am making all things new. And also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God commanded that John write these things down, that there would be undeniable proof that God said it, and it would be accomplished. It was to prove that there was no going back on it. There was no ability for God to renege on his promise. He says, write it down because I will come through on what I said I'm going to do. I am that God who is trustworthy and true. 
Brothers and sisters, this morning, we don't have a hope that is wishful in thought, but we have a convinced, a confident hope, a hope of the Lamb, the lamp, that will eternally dispel all darkness because the gospel, the word of our God, is trustworthy and true. He is the all-knowing, the all-powerful God, and what he wills and wants will be accomplished. He promised in Isaiah, we read a few weeks ago, that, that the people who were living in darkness would see a great light, and that great light came, we saw in John 1, in Jesus, the light of the world. That's what it deems him. That's his title. He came to be the light, the true light into the world. And so what God promised came to pass So true and trustworthy is the will and the plan of God to save his people from the darkness, from their sin, that he sent his one and only son to die for them. The great light of the glory of God has come to shine into the darkness. And as promised in John, the darkness will not overcome it. But as we see in these verses, through the lamb, through this man, the God-man Jesus Christ, He is the lamp through which the glory of God is channeled, is directed, and is emitted upon this world. Through that light, all darkness will be erased from this world, and it will shine eternally. There is no end to this light that is to come. It will come forever. This is what we're reading. This is the hope we have. This is the fulfillment, the consummation of the gospel. All that God has promised to do through Jesus Christ is being accomplished in these verses that we're reading today. And this is the glimpse of the hope we have that is to come. The hope that this world is not all there is, but there is a world to come where we will dwell with God and he will dwell with us. And there are three things I think that we can see clearly that the lamp of the lamb of the gospel shines true hope for us in. And I want to talk about these three things. First, we see the lamb, our lamp, shines the hope of a new heavens and a new earth, right? It says there in verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Right? So we see God come in. And John gets this view and this vision of what is to come. And it's not that God is coming to make all new things, but he's coming to make all things new. He's not coming to rid the world of all the things that are here. He's coming to restore it, to redeem it, to fulfill it and give it its correct and total purpose to display the fullness of the glory of God. It's not a place that's lacking in beauty or adornment in any way, shape, or form. Right? And in one of the verses that we skipped over in verse 11, it talks about um, the, the heavens and what it looks like. And in verse 11, it says that the city itself is radiating like a jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal, the glory of God. It's this city and this new heavens and this new earth that are no longer two places, but one place because the former things have passed away and the glory of God has come to shine upon everything so fully and completely that it radiates from the city itself. Right? Where we see through a a glass dimly, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, where we can't see fully all that is to be here, we can hope for with confidence, with a convinced hope, in a day where the glory of God will radiate in its fullness from everything. And it says that in this day and forevermore, the glory of God will shine so brightly that there will be no need for the sun or the moon any longer. 
because there will be no more night. It will, like Habakkuk 2.14 promises, like the waters cover the sea, so will the knowledge of the glory of God cover the earth. Right? It'll be like going from black and white or VHS for um, anybody who's under the age of, you know, like 20, I'm sure you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, but there used to be these big black tapes, and they are super fuzzy and unclear, um, and you always had to rewind them, and they broke eventually. But it, it was, it's like that, right? We're watching this, this world in some level like a VHS, like black and white. It's, it's fuzzy. It's unclear. Things can't truly be seen like they were meant to be. But God is coming, and his glory is going to come and shine in and through everything to the extent that it'll be like, like 4K, Right? This newest version of clarity that's to come. The fullness of the beauty and the clarity of all things in this world are going to be displayed because they will be doing exactly what they were created to do. Redeemed and restored. Fulfilling the purpose of radiating the glory of God into this world. And we can't see it right now because Romans 8, 20-21 tells us that God has subjected this world to futility because of our sin. But it says that he subjected it in Romans 8, 20 with a hope. He subjected it to futility in hope, with a confident expectation that in verse 28, 21 says that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God subjected this world in futility because of sin with a hope that the darkness and the corruption would be wiped away, that it would be no more and in its place would shine the glory of God to the one millionth degree. The beauty we have seen, the glory we have seen is just a small glimpse of what it will be like in the day when it radiates from everything and there is no more darkness. It will illumine our hearts and our minds in this world to show its truest beauty and form. And it says in verse 2 that this new heavens and this new earth will not come up from man, but it says in verse 2 there that it comes down from God. It's not because of some awesome recycling program that this new world comes. It's not because of a fantastic humanitarian aid or relief efforts that the, the world is restored to the way that it was meant to be, to its truest form. It's not through the work of a new political power or president that this world will be uh, made new. These things aren't bad things, they're not wrong things, but we cannot put our expectations and our hopes in those things to come through to make things new. They're being run by sinful men and women. This world has been subjected in futility by God. It is going to break, it is going to fail. If we come into those efforts and we say those efforts are all that people need for this world to be made into the way it was meant to be, we're giving them a false hope. Because it won't. It will fail. It will fall. It will disappoint. So what's this mean for us? This means as we come into these things, because this isn't a a way for us to, to get out of doing those things, but as we come into them, we must recognize that it is only through the gospel, 
Right? This is, this is a consummation, the fulfillment of the gospel that we're seeing. It's only through the gospel that all things will be made new. So as we come into serving, as we come into providing relief, as we come into giving to the poor and the sick and the needy, we come into it with the gospel. We come into it with the word of God because only in that will people find true hope for their life. Only in that will this world truly and fully and completely be restored. It's why we don't go to Africa and just dig wells. Not because that would be wrong, but because we're giving them a false hope if we don't ever tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ that will give them a water that will last forever, that will satisfy their souls for eternity. We are not coming to restore this world. It will not be because man has built up the new world, but because it comes down from God as he brings it to bear upon this world and his glory shines through everything. We come and we serve and we give Telling people that what they see in and through our actions and our words is just a glimpse of the light through a dirty window of the glory and the light that's to come when Jesus, as he promised to do, is preparing a place for us. That where he is, there we might be also. He's coming to bring this new place for us to live in. This place where the glory of God shines through everything. But the light in these verses, the glory of God, isn't just shining a hope on a new heavens and a new earth. But the lamp of the gospel shines the hope of a new people as well. It's the second hope we see here, a hope of a new people. It's a people that's no longer self-reliant, who trusts and relies fully upon upon ourselves, upon our efforts, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but relies completely upon God for life and light. And this isn't a promise that's given here just to the Jews. This isn't just to the covenant people of God, but for all peoples. Verse 24 states that the kings of the earth will come to this new city, Jerusalem. And in verse 26, in Revelation 21, it says that they will bring with it the glory of the nations. Just 15, 16 chapters earlier, we get a glimpse of what this is going to look like. In, in Revelation 5, 9, the Lord of the nations, it, it shows, is not just on a mission to save a person, but he's on a mission to come and save his people, right? And it says in Revelation 5, 9, that these people will be from every tribe, language, people, and nation, and they will come to him, and they will bow down, and they will worship at his throne. These are who God has come to save, and we are a part of that. But it says there in verse 2 of Revelation 21, John tells of this new city of people, And it says they are adorned like a bride for her husband. And later again in in verse 9, it refers to this bride again, right? And it's it's speaking of the bride of the Lamb, our bridegroom. And that bride is us. It's the church. That's who John is writing about. That we have been adorned like a bride for her husband on her wedding day. We no longer will wear the filthy and dirty garments and rags of our sin and our shame and our folly, but God will clothe us. It says in Isaiah 61, prophesying about this day, 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Our God has taken the robes 
of his pure and holy and righteous and good son. And he's taken our rags, he's taken them off of us, and in its stead, he has placed the robe of his son over us that we might be the beautiful bride before our bridegroom on the day when he comes. He has made us who were dirty and ashamed and clothed us with beauty and adorned us like a bride on our wedding day. And we will be a people who no longer fear, who are no longer full of anxiety and worried about the darkness that is to come, for we will now see our God face to face And it says in verse 4 that he will reach out his hand and wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. It says the end of verse 6. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God, and he will be my son. The promise is, is that for those of you who might deal with a chronic illness or pain, it will, there's a day coming when it will be no more. For those who have buried and put in the ground a loved one, there's a day coming when the resurrection will come and we will be given new bodies and a new life, and death will be no more. And there will be no more mourning and no more crying and no more pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And we who were slaves wearing the rags of slaves outside of the house, thirsty for water, will be brought in, it says, and get the heritage of a son, will be made into sons and daughters of God. And he will give us to drink from the water of life without payment. And he will clothe us instead of rags with the clothes of a son, his son. That's what's going to come. We will be made into that person, a new person, because the former things have passed away and he is coming to make all things new. But we have to be careful because we must recognize this is not because of our own doing. This is not because we were righteous that he gave us the robes of righteousness. It's not because we have conquered that we have the victory, but because the lamb conquered It's his victory that now stands as our victory. It's his righteousness that now stands as our righteousness. I'm so quick to define or think that God thinks better of me or loves me more in the moments of my obedience. That he's more pleased with me because I've earned some of that from him in my works, in my own efforts. On the flip side, I'm so quick to be ashamed and broken and defeated in the moments of my sin and my failure because surely God looks on me with disappointment now. But the love and the favor of the bridegroom is not based on the actions and the abilities of the bride, but upon himself. Because if it was based on me, if it was based on my efforts, I don't know how I read verse 8 and feel like I, f- I can walk into the city this new city, right? Read verse eight with me. It says, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And it goes on in verse 27 at the very end. It says, nothing unclean, speaking of of the city, this new heaven and new earth, nothing unclean will ever enter it 
nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. Can I just say as I read that list, that's that's me. I think that's us. I, I don't know how I don't fit into that list. Our portion should not be with God. We shouldn't be living in his city, enjoying his glory as his bride with his clothes, but our portion should be in the lake of fire and the second death, right? If not for the end of verse 27. It says at the end of verse 27, those that are able to enter it are those who are written, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Our hope is not in our religious strength or might to live holy and righteous. It's not because we'll, we'll deliver the killing blow to Satan or our sin one day and so be able to enter into the presence of a holy and righteous God. There's no amount of effort that we can give to throw a weight on the scale that we could measure up to how holy our God is to be in his presence. It's not because of us It's not because we've earned the love and the favor of God that we're made into this new people promised here, but because of the life of the lamb that was slain. It's in his book that we have hope. It's in his life that we have hope. It's in in the love and the favor that God the Father had upon his son that we have hope. Our hope is not in us. It's in the sun, the lamp who shines the glory of God even into our dark and, and desperate hearts. We need the hope of the life of the Lamb. We need our names written in there. It's because we trust in Him that we can enter into this new city. It's because we put our faith in Him that we have hope of being made new, of being able to be in the presence of God, of being made holy and righteous. Can I just give this warning this morning? If it's promised that we will be brought into the new heavens and the new earth and we want to put our hope in that and trust in that, we have to believe and put our trust just as much in the warning that those who do not, their portion is in the second death. Both are equally true. One doesn't get more weight because it sounds better. I want to do that in my heart, in my head, in my brain. I want to give that one more weight because it sounds nicer. That one must be true. The other, hmm, recognize both bring equal weights of truth, the true and trustworthiness of our God and his words. We must trust and put our, our faith in the lamb if we are to enter into this new city. If we are to be made new, it must be based upon him. Our hope must be in him. And it's from the lamb's light, from the lamp, it's from the light that is shed upon us from him that we finally have a hope for our life lived eternally with God. It says in verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. What God had set out to do from the beginning, he has accomplished in this moment. Behold, he says, as we talked about a little bit last week in Genesis, we see that God came and walked and dwelt with Adam and Eve in the garden. And as the Israelites go into the desert, they have the tabernacle that the, the presence of God might dwell in the midst of his people. 
And then the temple is built in the middle of the city of Jerusalem upon the the highest hill that God's presence might dwell in and among his people. And you notice there in verses 22 through 23, it says, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. This was to show that, that sacrifice shedding of the blood of animals was not the purpose of the tabernacle, was not the purpose of the temple. The purpose of it that remained, that showed itself to be true, was the presence of God in and among his people. That's what God desires. That's what he longed for, to dwell with his people. The sacrifices go away. God dwelling with his people does not. All that God is doing in us and with us now, though, is accomplishing exactly that purpose. The verses that we read, they never state that we will be with God, but that God will be with us. That's always the order it goes in. God is coming to be with us. And this now gives us a new identity and a new purpose, because if that's God's purpose, that is now our identity and our purpose. We are his people. We are his It's what he's coming to do to make us his. He is making us into the people that he designed us to be, to bring him glory. His glory, as we see that will happen in verses 24 through 26, from all over the earth being brought to him as it was meant to be. All that God is forming in us is in preparation for the new heavens and the new earth, that the darkness from our hearts and our lives will be eradicated. And in its place will rule and reign the light and the glory of God. He is making us into his people for his purposes, for his glory, that he might dwell with us. And this life we now live is like, it's kind of like on-the-job training, right? It's preparing us to know and understand what life is truly meant to be lived like and for, because God does dwell with us now. For those who believe the Spirit of God dwells in and among us and gives us this light to live. I think this is why Christmas seems like such a letdown for us. And the coming year, at times, seems really daunting. We've, we've hoped, put our hope in a holiday to satisfy us. Right? We'll finally, man, I'll finally get the rest that I need. For anybody that gets a lot of rest on a holiday, you're lucky. <laughs> we get the rest that we'll need. Finally, I'll get the gifts and the things that I want. It'll satisfy me. It'll make me happy. The things that I've longed for and wanted They finally are going to be there. And we find that we've placed our hope again and again in the things of this world. And time and time again, they've let us down. So we come out of Christmas and we look to the new year and we make resolutions. And so maybe I won't put my hope in the things of this world, but I make all these resolutions. And if I just am disciplined enough this time, or if I make my goals big enough this time, and I put my hope in them, maybe things will be better this year. Maybe things will finally come out the way that they were meant to come out if I just put my hope in those things. But my question is this morning, is it that we've put our hope in the wrong things that they don't measure up? Are we living our life in light of the present rather than this eternity spent with God? Are we living our life for the fleeting and the quick And the gone, are we living our life for the eternal and the present? In eternity, live forever in the presence of God. 
not the here and now. This means as we look to the new year, we don't need to throw away our resolutions and decide they aren't worth doing it anyways because they're just going to fail in the end and they're not going to measure up, but we redeem them. We restore them for the correct purposes. We look to the new year in light of eternity. We make plans and goals and we receive gifts and we spend time with family preparing our hearts and our life by the power of the Spirit to live eternally with God. If you were designed and are being saved to bring the glory of God from the ends of the earth into his presence to be his people, are you ready to do that now? He has given you by the gift of his spirit, his power and his truth to live in every way for this time and this event, for eternity now, where the dwelling place of God will be with us forever. Are we ready for that day? Or is our identity and our purpose founded in the things of this world and the things we determine? This season, our hearts are, are so easily tempted by the things and the desires of this world. It's really easy to take our eyes off the, the light of eternity and what's to come and find themselves, ourselves drooping down and staring at what's here and right in front of us. And the darkness seems to loom larger and darker in these times. Like the hymn says, we are prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Maybe one more gift will help. Maybe a little bit more time off will give me all the rest I need. Maybe a little bit more approval from my family will finally satisfy my my heart. Maybe a little bit more hard work this year. But I want to promise you something this morning. They won't deliver. They won't add up. They will fail. They will fall. They will disappoint. C.S. Lewis, in, in his book, Mere Christianity, talks about our view of eternity and what is to come in, in this way. He says this, Our whole education tends to fix our minds on this world. When the real want for heaven is present in us, we don't recognize it. Most people if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Brothers and sisters, the hope we have, the hope that is convinced, that is confident, is not in the fleeting things of this world, but in, the, in, in another world, in an eternal world, where, where this world doesn't keep its promises. The world we have to look forward to is one in which God always keeps his promises, always comes through, is always trustworthy, is always faithful, is always true. We have a convinced hope of the light that will shine from the lamb, the lamp, and it will dispel all darkness completely because our God is trustworthy and true. He, it says in these verses, is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He has seen it all, he knows all, and he is putting together all for this purpose. And where Jesus was lifted up once to declare it is finished from the cross, that we might see God's glory in part, like looking through a glass dimly. It was in hope of this day. 
A day coming where the light of the glory of God will fill the earth as it is magnified and directed through the Lamb who will be our lamp, the eternal lamp, lifted high again that all might bask in his light and his glory for eternity. And God, it says in verse 6, will declare from his throne, it is done. Not it is coming, not it will be here, it is done. That is what we have to hope in. And we will see in that day his glory in full because he will have accomplished what he set out to do. To dispel all darkness, that it might be gone, eradicated, and annihilated forever. That the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This, brothers and sisters, is what we have to hope in today. Not in this world, not in the fleeting things that will die and go away, but in the hope that is to come where death is no more and we will live with our God and his light for eternity. My question is this morning, are you ready? Are you hopeful? Are you expectant? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am so excited and so ready for that day. But God, my heart is so distracted by the things of this world so distracted from what is to come that I lose hope. Would you today, by your spirit and your power, just lift our eyes to see your glory? Lift our eyes to see what is to come in eternity and not just give us a wish, but give us confidence that that is what is going to come by the work and the power of God. Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the gospel. I ask this morning that we would come into 2018 and we would be a people marked by hope, marked by joy, by love, by peace, because of the gospel, because of Jesus Christ. And that this world would know we are yours by our love for one another. and would come to love you and worship you in light of that. May we bring your light into this dark world in hope of a life and a light that is to come eternally. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.